Folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is 6 a.m. on Election Day out here on the West Coast. So most of you back east have probably already gone and voted for someone you don't really like because you really can't stand the other person. But hey, Clemson is 9-0, so as Tully would say, life is good. Speaking of Tully, he's in some foreign country right now, probably claiming to be Canadian. So Ben and Cody here with you today to recap Clemson's 54 to nothing beatdown of the Syracuse Orange. Cody, I mentioned it in our FSU recap that I thought that that game was the most important win of the season. Well, I'd have to say that this was our biggest statement win of the season. Yeah, it's it's tough to take too much from it, but I think it's finally the game we've been hoping and wishing for, a game where we look like a national championship team. And Syracuse might not be great. They're not as bad as they look Saturday. But the key thing is Michigan, Alabama have been taking care of business all year long against inferior competition haven't they haven't been playing down they've been executing and we've been wanting Clemson to do the same and finally I think we got a a full uh, effort on both sides of the ball and we looked like a a playoff contender a legit national championship contender yeah and we had hopes of this uh, after the Boston College game and really followed that one up with a dud so we'll have to see how we play moving forward but certainly great signs uh, coming from this team, especially coming off that dramatic win against Florida State. Uh, you know, we're ranked number three in the AP and coaches polls, and then only to see the college football playoff committee uh, jump us up to number two. And we really justified that uh, coming out playing the way we did against Syracuse. And it looks like Clemson is finally getting that respect we've all been whining about for the last several years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's as much of a chip-on-your-shoulder type mentality, but you know, we'll talk more about the playoff picture, but it was interesting that uh, finally, I think the ACC is getting the respect, and uh, by way of that, we got the number two ranking. Uh, whether or not it's justified is, is up for argument, but certainly our, our resume is well thought of and well respected, and um, yeah, we're, getting, we're definitely getting the respect from the committee, if no one else. Well, and that's, uh, it's interesting you bring that up about the ACC because last year when they ranked Clemson first um, and had us first uh, throughout the entirety of whatever, seven weeks or whatever it was of those rankings, um, you know, the ACC was still down. It wasn't considered to be a very strong conference top to bottom. But this year we are seeing a lot of teams emerge. You know, obviously you have Louisville who's right up there. Florida State's taken a bit of a step back, but they're still a really good football team. And then quite a battle going on on, on over in the Atlantic with Virginia Tech and North Carolina there at the top. So you really are starting to see the emergence of the league, but still clearly Clemson's sitting there at the top. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, the fact that the rest of the league is doing so well, it only helps us. Right. I think the, the ACC might be a year ahead of schedule in terms of building up that middle of the pack and, and being deep. Maybe not the elite teams. Uh, well, I guess you could say Louisville supplanted Florida State this year for that second elite ACC team. But uh, you still have a long line of, of good teams. Um, and, and that's, I think, the committee's given the ACC a lot of respect and looking maybe a segue Looking at Syracuse, um, they're actually a better team this year. If, you, if you're looking at just Clemson versus Syracuse over the last three years, you might think this is the worst Syracuse team uh, of the three, but it's, it's really not. It, it was a, it was a, it's an improving team, uh, a well-coached team, and uh, nothing, nothing shabby about beating them 54, nothing at home. Oh, no, absolutely not. You know, it wasn't ever going to be a quick turnaround um, from the Scott Schaefer regime under Dino Babers. But listen, Dino Babers is a well-respected coach. I think he's a very good coach. And I, I think he is going to – you are going to see an improved Syracuse uh, football team in general. It's not only the football coach, but they have a new athletic director who was like formerly the president of ESPN. So I think you will start to see some success coming out of upstate New York. Uh, but all that being said, you know – the team that we saw from Clemson in the field, that's the team that we think they can be. That's the team we've been looking for, like you said, all all year long. What a great 
follow-up to the Florida State game. There was no late letdown whatsoever. Right, and I, did, yeah, I don't think anyone thought um, this would be a letdown in the, in the way of losing, uh, but we did think it's really easy uh, to let the, the emotion, not bring the same emotional energy or effort, especially, like you said, falling on the Florida State game. And uh, yeah, credit to the team for, for finding that within themselves and, and getting up. And, and I, I mean, you look at a guy like Ben Bulware, and he was just as intense as he could be. I mean, he was out there suplexing guys in the, in the first quarter. But uh, I think that's just he doesn't really have another gear, and it kind of it bleeds through to his teammates. So it's good to see that the leadership guys like Bullwear are putting well, in on that uh, all the energy, all the effort, and um, it rubs off. Now, speaking of that suplex, and we've talked a bit several times about the officiating this year. Personal opinion: Do you think that's a penalty? You know, I haven't I haven't even looked at the rule book. I I thought. Um, just I think the general, rule book allows you to tackle somebody. It doesn't tell you. Does it tell you how? I, well, I think the the key thing you can't, you can't is the progress, or right? Right. If the forward progress is still in in action, or if he's still progressing, then you can take him back, even if you have to suplex him. But I think forward progress was stopped in this case. Well, uh, from what we're hearing, I don't think the whistle was blown at that point, and the explanation that Dabo got was that he tackled him too hard. Um, so I'm going to put this one on the officiating. You know, we've seen a couple really nice wrestling moves from Bullwear this year. He had the clothesline uh, earlier on, and then uh, now the suplex. So I don't know. We might get a figure four leg lock next game, uh, flying jump kick. Who knows? I mean, Clemson fan, just no bias at all. I I think there's nothing wrong with it. It's a suplex. He landed pretty softly. There's a lot of worse ways you can go about hurting someone in football, uh, whether that's like targeting or uh, chop blocking, whatever it be. What he did was just kind of a you know a move that we did when we were you know, ten years old out in the backyard, and and you know no one got hurt. It's okay. Well, and you know the reaction from the Syracuse player, I think it was more just a little bit of a hurt ego than anything else. I, I think so. Uh, I think it's about respect and yeah, a little bit yeah. of feelings hurt. And when you get thrown down like that, yeah, you're going to get up and be a little bit testy. But the the refs should not react to that. Um, they should see that play as it was. And personally, I think it was a clean play. I don't think anything was dirty about it. It's not like he grabbed his head, twisted his head, did anything like that, twisted another uh, uh, body part. So yeah, to me, it was a tackle. Yeah, it, I don't know if this affected. I think the play before that was the where the quarterback, Syracuse's starting quarterback, Dungy, got knocked out of the game. And Bowler was on that hit, a very clean hit. I think it was actually a Daniel that, that put Dungy out for the game. And I wonder if it's just, you know, Ben Bowler's reputation as a dirty player and the referees having a quick trigger to try to enforce justice or what they perceive as justice. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and you know, speaking of that play on Dungey, I thought that was clean as well. And it came out after review that it was. And I honestly, I'm not even sure how he got concussed because I didn't really see much of a hit to the head at all. It seemed to be a little bit under his chin. It did come from both sides. And, you know, bullwear part of that tackle, that's going to be some uh, pretty blunt force. But didn't see anything dirty there. And I was actually a little surprised to, to understand that he uh, find out that he got a concussion. But yeah, and- hope he recovers and does better. Yeah, you never want to see that. We we saw it with with Gallman, and that's just it's it's not. Maybe ten years ago, we, we were rooting for the big hits. Never rooting for that anymore. You kind of cringe when you see it. Uh, going to one of the game narratives, I think, was McElroy, a former quarterback, uh, Alabama quarterback, who uh, was doing our game along with I can't remember the the play by play guy. But uh, first of all, Greg McElroy sounded like he was a Clemson fan. Uh, he was really. <laughs> waving that the tiger flag but i think that guy i think he's going to be good i think he's a uh, herb street in the making so i never feel i, I don't think i'll ever feel uh, uh what's the word uh, shortened or lessened whenever we get him on the broadcast however the play-by-play guy i thought was really poor <laughs> and i don't know if clemson fans will agree with that but he whenever that targeting happened uh he was very quick to, to or i'm sorry whenever the, the knockout happened he was very quick to say I guess try to drum up some controversy. Was it a target? And yeah, Daniel started low, started at the shoulder pad. Uh, at the last minute, the, the quarterback looked like he ducked down. And what happened, it, the initial blow started at the, the shoulder of the quarterback and went up to his head. And I think, again, I think it was Daniel that, that laid, the, laid the knockout hit. But 
uh, it was not a, a dirty hit uh, by any, and there's no way you could construe it as such uh, by looking at the replay. But I don't know if that's just an ESPN agenda, you know, whenever. Well, yeah. I think in his defense, he saw the blowout coming and uh, knew he was going to have to have something to talk about in the fourth quarter when Clemson was up by 40-something points. So maybe that was a little foresight on his part to, to have the narrative <laughs> going forward. Because, I mean, you got to think, when, when Clemson's beating somebody that bad late in the game, it's got to get pretty boring. What do you talk about? Right. They, they need, I mean, ESPN needs page clicks. They, or they need page views. They need clicks. They need articles that they can write about. And, you know, a 54 nothing game might not be as sexy as – you know, Clemson targeting, you know, Syracuse quarterback. That's, that makes for a, a juicier headline. And I'm not saying I'm, that's a conspiracy theory, but wouldn't be surprised if the guys up top at ESPN are barking down orders and that, that might be part of it. Well, and speaking of the game being a blowout, it wasn't necessarily looking like it may go that way early on in the game. Um, you know, from the beginning, it was kind of the same old, same old from the offense early on, but they really locked in and got on a roll. Um, they got off to a slow start, uh, you know, th- up three to nothing after the first two drives, and it's like, oh no, here we go again. But then Ryan Carter makes that interception of Dun- uh, Dungey on the first play of the ensuing drive, and things really got turned around. And then when Dungey gets knocked out of the game, there's really no hope for Syracuse, and, and, and Clemson just takes off. And that's what we really wanted to see from this Clemson team. You know, we, we talk about uh, driving in the dagger and putting a team away. We got off to a slow start again, but that didn't get in the guys' heads. Uh, they really came out and they put the foot on the throat and, again, just finished off a far inferior team. But before we dive further into the game, uh, let's give a quick shout out to the to ourselves, uh, the podcast. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter, follow us on our Facebook page, and you know you can find us on SoundCloud. That's where we post first. We actually got a message on Facebook this week asking how. Uh, you know when our episodes get posted. So to give you a little bit of insight, we generally try to record uh, the Sunday or Monday at the latest after the game. In this case, because of work-life balance, we are uh, recording early Tuesday morning. But generally, it's Sunday or Monday night, and we generally have the episode up within 12 hours. It then posts to SoundCloud. So if you're following us on there, you'll get a notification um, or any of your podcasting apps that you may prefer that you have on your uh, on your phone, uh, you'll get alerts via that. Otherwise, it'll eventually get posted to Facebook, onto TigerNet, and other sites. So that's how you can follow the podcast. If you have any questions for us, uh, remember you can email us at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. And Cody, uh, tell us a little something about TigerNet. Yeah, well, I was, I'm looking for at the basketball schedule, and uh, I was thinking that it's a good time to start – Reading up, I'm sure most people are living on TigerNet or, or going there for their post-game football stuff. Uh, and if, if you're not, you know, start doing that. It's good to, to hear the interviews. I like to hear those. Um, I like to see the post-game pieces. David Hood had some good thoughts, um, just kind of recapping, calibrating, and, and, and talking about what what this means, what this win means, what it means going forward. Um, but it's it's just good. It. I mean, it helps pass the time. It's it's pretty much like reading the morning newspaper for me. It's um, it's just a good way to consume as much as you can, take in the moment as much as you can because it's a great time for Clemson football, great time for Clemson sports. Again, going forward to basketball, you can read up on uh, a lot of the the stuff that's that's forthcoming. And um, yeah, we got we got some new guys. We got an exciting basketball season upon us. So uh, definitely check out TigerNet for that. Well, and especially right now, as you're so dialed into football, you may have not a lot of time to, to pay attention to the basketball team. So get a quick primer, go over there, read the articles, learn about this basketball team, because we've said it before, we think it's going to be a very exciting year for Clemson basketball. They're preseason selected to finish 11th in the ACC. That's asinine. Um, it's going to be a lot better than that. I actually could see them being in the top four this year. Yeah, well, I've seen them a little bit lower in some some polls, but... Yeah, it is. Uh, it goes to show the ACC is good. So, but I, I think uh, Blossom Game. All right, we have a, a legitimate All American, uh, certainly All ACC caliber player. So uh, it's definitely. I'm excited to, to start the season. Well, let's jump back to football here because you know that's the most important things in all of our minds right now. Let's get back to the Syracuse game and let's start on the offensive side of the ball for Clemson. Um, you know, we've been like we said waiting for this for a while now. And 
Clemson was clicking on all cylinders. Uh, and from what we hear, Syracuse even knew what was coming and still couldn't stop it. They were apparently calling out plays on the line and just still couldn't stop this um, offense. And that's because of all the playmakers that Clemson has. And it's not just at the skill positions. The offensive line asserted themselves in this game, albeit against uh, uh, inexperienced and undersized defensive line from Syracuse. But, you know, Clemson did what they were supposed to do, pushed them around in the trenches and really set the tone for the game. Yeah, you, you mentioned we got off to a slow start. And uh, I'd just like to say, I look at Deshaun Watson's start line. I mean, he got in really two quarters of meaningful action. I think he was 10 to 12, 10 for 12 passing to open the game. One of those was a drop in the end zone by Mike Williams. And the other was a, a drop deep ball down the seam uh, on a post route to Mike Williams. Uh, he should have started 12 for 12. This was a, a great game by Deshaun Watson. We should have scored in that. I think it was the opening drive. But uh, other than that, that, the offense was just, it was flowing. Uh, Deshaun, I thought, was very efficient running the ball. Uh, he had a few uh, runs where he didn't really, uh, I think he got stopped pretty much at the line of scrimmage. And you'd like to see that not happen, but, you know, that's just kind of the card you're dealt when you run. But for the most part, he was able to find some openings, some creases, uh, get down against self-preservation. Unfortunately, uh, it looked like he got down uh, on his shoulder that one time, but I, it, that looked like it's probably just a stinger. So I, I fully expect him to be back, if not next week, then uh, soon enough. Well, I mean, everything we're hearing from the coaching staff, it was just a bruise, and he was ready to go back in the game. So... Uh, not to, to plant any seeds of fear in anybody's minds. Deshaun Watson will definitely be playing against uh, Pittsburgh this Saturday. Uh, but I guess going back to what you said, yeah, I mentioned a slow start. And I guess for Clemson, a slow start is not being able to move the ball. It's, it's really moving the ball but not being able to execute when it matters. And that's the drops that you talk about. So in that, uh, in that sense, we did kind of get off to a slow start. But it did not get into the minds of this team. It, it did not get into their heads. They can, especially after the the, the uh, pick by Ryan Carter, the offense got rolling again. They, you know, fixed the drops. You know, Mike Williams started hanging onto the ball, and they got rolling, and they never looked back. Um, you know, we, we talked about the play calling before a little bit, and I think uh, Elliot did a really good job in this game uh, going away from kind of the bread and butter inside running game uh, because of how much he respected Syracuse's scheme. And you saw him uh, go to more to some gap schemes outside, and that really worked. Uh, Gallman got going around the outside, ripping off a big run early. Um, and then the deep that really opened up the deep balls. Right, and yeah, you talked about the blocking. It, it did look improved regardless like you said, the defensive line for Syracuse might have been experienced. They might not have been as talented. But when you're going against inferior competition, this is what it should look like. And that's what we want to see. And it looked good. Like you said, no one's better than Gallman at bouncing to the outside or understanding and having that vision to know what's available as a running back. And he can he can jump out quickly. And he had some nice runs, albeit didn't uh, didn't play as, as much, didn't have as many reps. Looks like he had 10 carries total for 63 yards. You know, whenever we can move the ball, whenever we can run the ball, those chains are going to keep moving. And it's, uh, this is, I hope, uh, this is something we'll see more of, a very more consistent, more reliable run game. Deshaun Watson was pretty active, and that always opens something up. It always gives the defense something to, else to account for. So um, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, offensive line was better. Gallman was as good as ever, good as he always is, and, and Deshaun Watson was active in finding, uh, efficiently finding the yards available to him, and that, that makes our offense hard to stop, when you, especially, like you said, when you combine that with the, the deep threat. Yeah, and I, you know, I appreciate wanting to establish the run game, and I know it's a big part. It's a cornerstone of this offense. It's not just all about the passing game. Um, but what has frustrated me earlier in the year and some other games is kind of the tendency to keep running inside even though there's nothing there. Um, I, I just think we've been a little too committed to it at times. Uh, but in this game, you know, Tony Elliott comes out and he comes with a different philosophy and it really worked. You know, yeah, Wayne only got 10 carries, but he averaged 6.3 yards a carry on that. Even C.J. Fuller came in and had some good runs. Uh, you know, we saw Feaster get in there. Um, but I'll tell you this. There's still a significant difference in watching Wayne Gallman run uh, than as opposed to anybody else on this offense. Uh, C.J. Fuller 
probably had one of his best days I've seen, albeit against an inferior defense. Tavion Feaster had some good runs, but I think his average was pretty low. And, you know, he really slows down more easily after first contact than Gallman does. He has a great burst, but kind of an abrupt stop at times. Right. And that, yeah, to talk about Feaster for just a second, uh, he we compare him to Spiller. When you see that 28, you think of Spiller, and you see a nice little burst, nice acceleration when he gets the ball. However, when he when he hits the secondary, that second level, uh, you're, you're hoping to see him, see him miss. Uh, make make some guys miss, and uh, he doesn't have that that second burst um, to make you know to make guys miss in the open field, and I, I think I attribute that to just confidence and not feeling like he has his feet under him. I think that'll come in time, especially when he gets more reps. Uh, it's tough as a backup anything to come in and, and really find your footing. So, uh, but still, uh, I think he definitely has potential as our number. I want to say number two, but. Uh, potentially get to see more meaningful reps as we go forward. I did see him in pass protection. He looked like he was finding his assignments, picking up blitzes and uh, picking up uh, defenders. So I'll give him some credit there. Uh, it looks like that's improved enough to where the coaching staff can trust him a little bit more. Well, and that's kind of the big thing because I worry about more about a guy getting loose and a, getting a clear path to Deshaun Watson. Uh, more concerned about that um, than whether or not Feaster can get a few extra yards in that second effort or make a guy miss. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. It is good to see that that part of his game is developing. It's probably been a little frustrating for him this year, not getting as much playing time as he thought he would. But the fact that he's still in there and the coaches went to him early in this game, you know, we get into these next three games to end out the regular season. He could stand to see a significant amount of playing time, especially going to keep Gallman rested and healthy. Right. I mean, it, McElroy was saying we have uh, five, we go five deep at the running back position, and but uh, you know it's really like it's it's one, and then uh, and then we don't know what we're getting after that. So uh, it, it would be good to see Feaster just getting more reps because I, I think when when you see him get more reps, similar to Goldman two years ago when he started getting more reps, he started looking like a, a really good running back when he was when he was getting uh, when they were doing running back by committee back then, he looked like a very mediocre running back. So it'll be interesting to see if that gives him a little bit more confidence and allows him to take his game to the next level. Yeah, and again, like you mentioned, here to finish out the season, you have those games uh, to get some uh, some action under your belt. But then, again, I always say this, going into bowl practice, having that extra about three weeks of practice, you see a lot of these guys, the lights switch on in their heads. So it'll be really interesting to see how he finishes up the season. Um, let's, let's go back to this offensive line real quick. I want to point one thing out. A lot of guys got some extra playing time, uh, in this game, uh, Tremaine Ankrum, Sean Pollard, good to see them in there. Um, I, I think the building the depth across this offensive line is really starting to bear fruit as the season uh, gets closer to the end. You know, earlier in the season, I think there were some chemistry issues, cycling too many guys in and out. You know, Dabo feeling the need to get a lot of these young guys in the game, um, and we kind of went through some growing pains. But they really seem to be coming together, and we're able to sustain injury. Uh, more easily. Uh, Jake from Oregon was out in this game, um, but I really don't think we missed a beat. No, I, I, you know how great it is to see true freshmen uh, like Pollard and Ankrum be able to just play, even if they can't be give us a winning grade, which they, they can, but even if they can just play, that's that's so important. Uh, let you know that we, we've hit on two freshman offensive linemen, and you know, kind of coupling that with last year, having two We'll say one really good true freshman and another capable uh, freshman in, in Free Morgan and, and Hyatt. Um, I mean, that's two years in a row where you're bringing in guys that are ready to play. And I think looking to next year, uh, it's going to be the first year where we're going to have two deep and have really good competition at every offensive line position. And it's kind of all culminating to, uh, I think, one of the best offensive lines we've seen. At least we hope so. We, we know how things don't always pan out with offensive linemen, uh, offensive line groups. But uh, no, it, it's Going back, uh, it's, it's really good seeing Pollard, and he, he looked good. He looks like a legitimate college player. Yeah, and to see John Simpson get in there and get some meaningful reps. Uh, you know, the coaches are really high on him. Um, you know, he came in to fall practice. You know, he didn't get spring practice like Anchorman Pollard did. Um, and, you know, just, just great to see him get meaningful playing time. I think we're really set up for the future pretty well at the uh, offensive line position. Yeah, I didn't even mention... John Simpson, who's number three in that in that class, who's probably the most talented player. So, 
certainly a, a talented offensive line group, bright future for the O-line at Clemson. Yeah, and looking at this team, there's really two areas of weakness, I would say, right now, or at least in the in recent years. And I think the offensive line had the biggest question marks and the secondary on the defense. Um, we're getting a lot of guys, young guys, to play in the secondary on defense, uh, but we're still not as sure about that. But the offensive line, I think we're more and more confident the more games uh, we see these guys get in and play. We're more and more confident that we're going to be solid uh, moving forward into the future. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Deshaun Watson real quick. You know, we haven't touched much on him yet. Obviously, he didn't get a lot of playing time. He went down with that injury and absolutely the, the perfect and right call at that point not to bring him back in the game. Um, but for the most part, Cody, I think you mentioned he could have been 12 for 12 to, pass, uh, to start the game. He looked fantastic, completely dialed in. He looked like the Heisman contender that we all know he is. Um, aside from the little things and the, the pinpoint accurate passes that we're so used to him throwing, let's talk about that deep ball because we finally, finally saw it in this game. He had a perfect pass to Deion Kane down the sideline for the second t- TD in this game uh, to go up 16 to nothing. And that was the dagger in the game. That was the thing that put Syracuse away. And I think how fitting for it to be a deep ball, given all the question marks we've seen in that part of the game all year. Yeah, it was it was beautiful, and it was it was directly in the sun, no less. And you know, we talked a little bit about. I wonder how how much he's thinking. I'm sure I, there's no doubt in my mind he's practicing that deep ball every every practice. So it's not like oh, Deshaun Watson must have really worked on his deep ball this week. Uh, trust me, this guy's he's he's putting in his reps. So it just makes me think maybe he had a little bit more confidence. We, I think back to having a ten nothing lead at that point versus some of the tighter games we've been we've been playing, and, and you know maybe it's it's less him not wanting to throw an interception or trying to be perfect, but maybe he just doesn't want to turn the ball over and and have that potential momentum shifter. Maybe that's been the reason for him putting it out a little bit too far ahead of uh, ahead of some of his guys. But yeah, yeah amazing deep ball. The one, the post route to Mike Williams was was equally uh, amazing, despite Williams dropping it. Uh, yeah, well, in Williams' defense, he did have a great TD catch later in that drive. But you mentioned something there I want to key in, key in on because uh, it's funny. We saw Nick Schusler come in the game, and he just started throwing darts. And he did what we've been wanting to see Watson do all year, and that's give guys a chance to catch the ball. I mean, give these talented receivers the opportunity to go up and just beat their defender. Nick Schusler came in with absolutely no fear whatsoever. And at that point, you're up so hot, you know, up so much in the game. You have a good feeling that Syracuse is not going to come back at, um, on you. And Nick Schusler is not fighting for the starting job, so there's not really a lot of pressure on him. So I think it is interesting that you mentioned maybe Deshaun Watson just has been too tentative with some of these passes, being too conservative, uh, overthrowing guys and not wanting to give up, you know, a big interception. Because we saw Schuessler come in here and just start slinging it around. And, hey, maybe that gives Deshaun Watson some confidence going forward that these receivers are going to go up and get the job done for him. Absolutely. I think everyone was having – I think everyone, whether or not they wanted to admit it it, uh, during the game – Schusler was given the receivers a chance to catch the ball. What we've seen from Deshaun Watson, especially on those intermediate routes, um, he's he tends to throw the ball down to the ground. I think that's intentional. So one, you know, the ball's not intercepted, but two, so he can keep his his uh, his guys healthy and they don't take a big hit. But sometimes when you have a guy like Mike Williams, uh, you just got to put it up and, and let him go after it. And same for Deion Kane. And I think I think he saw that from Schusler. And yeah, and credit to him. Uh, man, what a what a, you know his performance aside, his accuracy aside, just the, him to get in there and be confident. The the zip he was putting on the balls, he, even when he was taken off running, you know he he's he's not a slow guy. He, he's not he doesn't have the kind of elusiveness or the wiggle uh, that Deshaun Watson has. But it, it feels good to see a backup quarterback go in there uh, with really very little notice and and look that confident. It's uh, it's encouraging going forward. Well, and it speaks a lot to his uh, the kind of person he is and uh, the character and his mindset um, to be able to come in like that and be so dialed in. You know, he's clearly never really been was ever going to have the opportunity to be the first string quarterback on this team, uh, but he hasn't let that affect him. You know, he's gone up against some more highly rated, more talented guys, especially Kelly Bryant, and there's a reason, and it's clear now why he's the number two uh, quarterback on this Clemson football team. And to be honest with you, and 
I, you know, take this with a grain of salt because it was a very weak Syracuse defense. But from what I saw out of him, I am a little bit less worried now if Deshaun Watson were to go out in the game. Now, if we're playing a team like Alabama or something like that, I'd feel, you know, I feel really scared and I'm really worried. But a game like Pitt or a game like Wake Forest, with all the tools, the other tools that Clemson has on offense and the way Nick Schusler was throwing the ball, I actually feel confident that he can get the job done. Yeah, my theory on that, and I think I'm, I'm sure there are a few knuckleheads in each Clemson bar or each Clemson tailgate that was saying, wow, our, our best quarterbacks uh, is the backup, you know, you know, kind of reminiscent of Cole Stout uh, back in 2000, I guess, 12. Uh, and, and that's kind of overkill. But the point being, you being confident, uh, Clemson being confident in Nick Schusler if he were to go, if, if Deshaun Watson were to go down. And I, I think, well, for one, I think he looked good. Um, he was locking in on receivers, so I, I think there's, the book is not out on his tendencies, his strengths, uh, what he can bring. There's no scouting on him, really. I think he had 12 passes on the year coming in. I think if uh, across a larger sample where teams and defensive coordinators can really lock down on, on him and, and see some film, that, that might be a different story. But in the case of, like you said, maybe it's, we're in the Orange Bowl or we're in the, the playoff, and uh, he goes in in limited a limited spurt. He, I think, he can be very effective, especially if he looks as confident as he did. Yeah, and that's a that's essentially what I'm saying um, is that if Deshaun Watson goes down in a game, and he has to get some spot work. I feel a lot better about that. If uh, Schusler has to lead us for the rest of the season and into the playoff, yeah, I feel a lot less confident about us uh, <laughs> it being successful. But you know, you'd have to give the guy a chance to to get on the field and see what he can do. Um, I got to say this about him, you know, I've, he's a Clemson guy and I've never really been so fond of a backup quarterback, not, not in the sense, uh, the old saying that, you know, the favorite quarterback on the team is a second string guy, but ju- just because of his attitude and his commitment to this program, um, and he's just never been down. He's always been an upbeat guy and, uh, he seems like it's a really good teammate and I'm glad he got his opportunity in this game. You know, we may look down the road in a few years and find him, uh, coaching on the sidelines in Death Valley. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm really uh, pleased to see him come in and, and and like you said throw in the darts and be as confident and as poised. Um, one thing I think uh, maybe last thought on Schuessler, where I think Deshaun Watson could take from Schuessler, and that's in the NFL you can't lock in on receivers. If you do that, you're you're done. Uh, in college, you're not supposed to, and uh, it, it can be you know good defensive teams, good defensive coordinators will ex- will take advantage of you if you if you lock in on one guy. But to some to some extent, when you have receivers as good as we'll say a Mike Williams, who will be a number one receiver in the NFL, or Hunter Renfro, who runs as clean as crisp routes as he does, to some extent you can lock in on on one receiver and just throw it to him. And I think Deshaun Watson would be maybe well suited to, to maybe take take that from Schuessler. Like it's okay. You don't have to be NFL Deshaun Watson just yet. Like you can you can stare uh, just you know, Deion Kane or Mike Williams down as long as you make a good pass. There's not many college defenders that can that can stop him. Well and that's yeah again that's easy to say when you have the receiving core that that, that Clemson has. Um <laughs> although I wouldn't say that if Schuessler was throwing to Boston college wide receivers or Deshaun Watson for that matter. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When, Having when, those when wide receivers guys, make a big NFL difference. number one NFL receiver, uh, or again uh, Hunter Renfro, when you run routes that crisp, sometimes you can just lock in on your target and make a good throw. And uh, those those passes and those those routes will be available on the college level. Well, especially with the emergency of, of Deion Kane now, you know he's really turned it around this year, and what a threat he has become. Uh, downfield, you know, he, I, I think he could be Clemson's next Martavis Bryant type wide receiver. I think so. I think uh, I think he has a, a tremendous amount of upside. Uh, he's still. I still think he's learning to be a, a wide receiver. Still learning route running, blocking. But man, when he open field speed, yeah, it does remind you a little bit of Martavis Bryant. And uh, yeah, when he's when he does what he's supposed to do, like he he looks he looks like a, a future pro. You know, another guy that I think is a future pro, although you wouldn't know it by kind of his lack of touches this year, Artavis Scott. Uh, you know. There was a good article on Tiger Net this week um, about Scott not getting down uh, about the lack of touches this year. Um, I, I think that probably is very frustrating for a guy who is used to being very involved in this offense, 
But, I mean, we've noticed it all year. He just doesn't seem to be as involved in the offensive game plan. But, man, everything he says, everything he does, I mean, what a consummate team player Artavis Scott is. And then the question in the article that was kind of left open-ended on Tiger Net was, could he possibly come back next year and play another year after he graduates? I mean, it's not out of the question. We've seen Clemson players do that before. And Clemson players coming off very successful seasons doing that before. Obviously, C.J. Spiller uh, comes to mind. Um, but what do you think, uh, Cody? I mean, Scott is not having a kind of show-stopping year uh, like, like he has in the past. He's not leading the team in receptions or anything like that. Do you think he'd come back next year? Uh, he could. I mean, and there's, I mean, it's not, it's not, like you said, it's, it, the receptions are down when you have Mike Williams and, and Deion Kane and all these playmakers. It's, 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 it's understandable. And again, he's probably our best, most reliable blocker. So it, it's kind of unfortunate, but he said it, he's a team player. He does what he has to do. Um, you know, I, I hope he does come back. I don't, I, I haven't seen him on, on mock drafts. Um, I think he, he could, um, benefit from coming back and helping a you know first year quarterback uh, with a reliable wide receiver reliable route runner and and I don't want to say be the go-to guy but um, maybe assume a few uh, definitely more receptions with Mike Williams departing to the NFL well I'll say this if he wants to come back we'll take him right <laughs> <laughs> if he decides okay, to go to the NFL away. yeah exactly if he decides to go to the NFL all the best to him. Uh, we'll look forward to watching him play on Sundays. Um, and, I mean, one of those guys you just know with his mentality. NFL teams love that skill set aside. He'll he'll be on a roster for uh, seven to ten years. There's you know he'll be he'll be a veteran. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, before we wrap up the offense here, I want to ask uh, one question that I've asked uh, before several times this year. We saw Kelly Bryant get into the game to get significant action. Why don't they let him throw more? Well, they, they gave him a shot. I, I think when they initially put him in, uh, it happened. The Deshaun Watson injury kind of happened so quickly. I think the goal was to get Schusler some reps on the sideline, get his arm warmed up, and I think they just put Brian in so they could run a few like wildcat handoffs. And I think that was the only purpose he was serving. I don't think it. I know they're working on some things, and I, I have no idea what Deshaun Watson's doing there, lined up on the outside. But I think they're doing that to have something on film, but. Uh, I think the purpose of him being in, at least in that case, was just to pass the time until Schusler could get warmed up. Well, and I think that's what that play-by-play guy that you hate uh, was mentioning uh, in the game when that was happening, is is this offense trying to show something on film that sets something up for later in the year? Because we've seen that before. This isn't the first time we've seen Deshaun Watson split out wide. Uh, but that's very interesting. It, you know, Do we pull something out of our bag of tricks in a, in a playoff game or a national title game. That'll be really interesting to see. Um, but kind of going back to Kelly Bryant, you know, it's not just when he was coming there initially. Even when he came in later in the game, we don't, we don't see him throw a lot. And there's been a lot of speculation out there about what's going on there. And really the answer we hear from Clemson insiders, uh, Clemson reporters, is that something may come out later, like after the season, of why he's not throwing more. But for now, we just don't know. And it's, it's just kind of curious to me if, we're, you know, legitimately going to give him a shot to be the starter uh, next year. Yeah, it's it's it makes you kind of uh, it's questionable, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, you can see that teams know the book is out on Kelly Bryant. He's he's essentially a running back taking taking snaps at the quarterback position. We're going to do a, a a run option with him, and he may and everyone i think they probably bring eight to the line of scrimmage like just stack the box and it's really easy really really easy to defend i think we saw i think i saw one screen pass that actually got positive yardage um no idea yeah like you said if he's going to be a legitimate contender for that quarterback starting quarterback position next year he he's got to he's got to get uh he's, he's got to wet his feet a little bit well hey there you go maybe you said it he's a running back playing the quarterback position maybe we see him make a transition next year you never know you never know what's going to I doubt it. <laughs> um, okay, that about wraps it up for the offense. You know, nothing but really glowing things to say about them. They really executed on all in all, uh, you know, parts of their game against Syracuse on Saturday, and really refreshing to see. We hope to see that continue moving forward. Switching over to the defense, you're know, talking about Syracuse's quarterback. Uh, when he got knocked out of the game early, that was really the end of any hope that they had. You know, they're they're not. 
they, they have more of an identity on offense, but they just, they just don't have the personnel to go up against a team like Clemson this year. You know, we didn't expect the run game to be much of a factor um, unless Dungy was uh, really getting things going with his legs. And again, once he got knocked out, I believe it's Wilson, it was, came in and just not a lot there for Syracuse. Not enough talent. You know, I think Dino Babers, like I said, he's got a system in mind for this team, but he's going to need to kind of build that roster over the next few years to really see any success, I think, especially against uh, top-notch defenses. Right. It, it may work against Virginia Tech at, at home in the Carrier Dome, but it, it's not going to work at Clemson in Death Valley. And I can't remember who said it. I, I hate to steal credit for this. Uh, or I'm not going to steal credit for this. But uh, someone said that Dino Babers, uh, his offense is very similar. It looks similar to Chad Morris's first offenses at Clemson uh, where you know you had the right scheme, you had the right pace, but you didn't have the right necessarily all the right playmakers when it, whenever you went up against – uh, the the type of elite competition that Clemson brings, especially along our defensive line. And, and granted, we had more uh, talent and playmakers back then. We just didn't have really the offensive line at the time. And uh, Babers is even even more, um, working with even less talent uh, with offensive linemen, uh, not really a dual-threat quarterback, and, and not quite the same level of playmakers. So uh, it, it's not quite there. It's not going to work against Clemson. And the utter incompetence of, of quarterback, I don't think it was just limited to their backups. I don't, I don't think uh, Dungy was set to have a, a stellar day uh, himself before he went out with injury. No, it, it didn't look like it. And the, and the defense uh, really asserted their dominance. And speaking of Chad Morris's first offensive schemes, uh, that, you know, that really is one way to reconcile the deficit in talent is to really spread defenses out you know, have quick snap counts um, and really kind of get on you all day with, with screens and quick outs to get on top of a defense and keep the chains moving. And, you know, honestly, I, I thought that, you know, well, when Syracuse did, they had some opportunities to score in this game. They did move the ball a little bit, uh, but, you know, kind of like Clemson has done this year, they shot themselves in the foot with some turnovers. Um, I think they missed a field goal, you know, so overall, just again, not the talent to, to man up against this Clemson defense. Um, starting with the defensive line, you know, Venables, to you know, what a genius he is. Changing his scheme up to attack that quick horizontal stuff that Syracuse does, uh, and having so many long and you know guys on the defense, spreading them out, putting Farrell and Bryant lining up on the slot receiver. That's something we haven't seen a lot of this year. Um, and then really just rushing with three guys and getting pressure. You know, this work, uh, this scheme that he came in with doesn't work if we're not getting pressure from three guys. But, you know, those three guys, whomever it was across that defensive front for Clemson on Saturday, really brought the pressure and disrupted what Syracuse was wanting to do. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about those interceptions that the Syracuse quarterbacks threw as as bad passes, and certainly they were. But whenever, like you said, whenever you can rush three and get that type of pressure and drop eight uh, and have some guys play in zone, like just good luck. Good luck as a quarterback. It's it's going to be a long day for you. And, uh, yeah, like it speaks to just the talent we have. And I think it's starting to set in. I think you mentioned it maybe during our last episode that this is probably our best defensive line maybe uh, over the last three years, maybe um, better than the – than the 2014 defensive line, and like so, we've had some good ones. But uh, regardless of where they stack up, they're they're damn good. Rushing three, uh, getting you know rotating guys in so they're they're healthy and they're fresh. Um, I wonder I wonder if we don't go that go to that uh, again or more often in the season because if we do have a limitation, uh, a weakness, it's it's a little bit with our linebacker speed, a little bit with in our secondary, um, uh, some of our safety speed. So. Uh, it, it helps give us an extra man in the backfield, in the back eight. Yeah, and I'm less interested to see how we do against lesser opponents at this point. But if this is certainly, and we've seen this be the trend, but if this is the scheme we hope to play moving forward, rushing three, dropping eight to help our secondary, I want to see how we do against teams that have better offensive lines. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to really get an idea of that until we get into a playoff game. Um, it may be Pitt. I'm not sure how good of an offensive line Pitt has. I know Wake Forest is a better team, but still, I, I just don't think we're going to see that on the rest of our schedule um, heading into the postseason. But what I would hope is that this is a scheme that this these uh, defensive linemen are that dominant, that it's a scheme that can stick moving forward into the playoff and really works to our advantage. 
Well, yeah, it's typically, you know, the dime package, uh, rush three, drop eight. It, it's typically employed on, on passing downs, particularly long, third and longs. And we've done, we've been very, very successful uh, in those packages under Venables. And now we're seeing it on some, uh, what we would consider traditional running plays. I, like you said, I don't think we see this against elite competition on standard running downs or uh, running plays, but it, it is something we could use or mix up to give the, the offense different looks. And, uh, you know, I think I saw this on ESPN. I think it was is it Jared Shanker, one of their uh, football guys. He said he was talking to an opposing ACC coach, and the coach said Clemson has a better second unit defensive line than I have starting defensive line. So, uh, whenever you have that type of talent, um, whether you're rushing four, rushing three, um, you can have a successful defense. And I think that's what we've seen this year. Well, I would think that Clemson has a better second-string defensive line than a lot of teams and have a first-string in, in, the, in the country, to be honest with you, from what I've seen this year. Uh, the, the talent pool is absolutely rich there. It's great to get a guy like Kelly Bryant back and get him a ton of reps, and then you're going to see the emergence of some of these other guys, Albert Huggins. Um, you meant Austin Bryant. Uh, sorry, Austin Bryant. Um to really get them reps and give some depth to this defensive line to keep them fresh and healthy. We talked about it earlier in the season, uh, what a large percentage of the snaps these starters played last year. I think you're starting to see that balance out a little bit this year, and that's going to mean a more rested and healthy defense than we had last year ending the season going into the playoff. Right, and you see that you see that on the defensive line. It's great when you can rush or uh rotate these guys in you've seen it in the secondary too you've seen a good bit of rest a lot of young young guys like fields and mullen getting those reps you haven't seen it at the linebacker position so i, I think this game and hopefully hopefully pitt and, and wake and maybe even south carolina hopefully we can get a lead and get these linebackers some rest because yeah it, it goes a long way ben bulware and kendall joseph are playing a, a ton of snaps uh, still and it'd man? be good to see the, the some backups get some reps just to give them rest I don't care who you have backing up Ben Bulware. I don't think he's going to let you take him out of the game. <laughs> uh, maybe not, but uh, even Bulware can uh, succumb to injury like that shoulder last year. Whenever you play as hard as he does, uh, you, you, you know, you're going to take some wear and tear. So he, he needs to stay healthy. Yeah, some of those wrestling moves can put you in some awkward, uh, awkward <laughs> positions. Um, That's right. So I, one of the weaknesses the defense is still showing, you know, you know, Syracuse did start picking on us on the edge, and they did find a little bit of success, I thought. So still some question marks in the secondary. Cordrea Tankersley did have kind of a bounce-back game after the, the Florida State. Um, but otherwise, what do you see from the secondary? I mean, they are rotating a lot of guys in and out. We've yet to see Adrian Baker come back. Uh, Marcus Edmond has been dinged up here a bit. And, I don't know, just not a lot of consistency, it seems like, from the personnel. They're cycling through a lot of guys, so I just I do want to see more consistency there, and I just kind of want to know in my head who the starter is, who the go-to guys are. Yeah, well, a couple things in terms of what I've seen from them. I think Tankersley looked good. He, I mean, it, frankly, it, it's good to have, or it, it's easy to look good when you're when you have uh, numbers advantages like that, like we had in the back eight versus, uh, you know, their receivers. But he didn't. He looked good in coverage. He had an interception, and it looks like maybe they're working on some of their technique, fundamentals, turning around, finding the ball. So, so that's a plus. Uh, what I see overall, though, is is definitely a little bit of uh, a lack of athleticism. Florida State was able to exploit that a little bit. Elite teams will be able to get some yardage. Hopefully, not uh, chunk plays, but they will be able to get some uh, com complete some passes. Uh, the secondary just doesn't have the speed. It doesn't have the speed that it had last year. And what we've seen traditionally from Venables, which is interesting, is that he he's always goes with talent over experience, and he'll he'll say that. Um, I wonder if last year didn't kind of change his mindset, his philosophy there with going with with talent and a guy like T.J. Green, uh, J. Ron Curse over a more reliable but less talented Jadar Johnson. And um, I, I wonder if he's changed his tune because we've seen a lot of Ryan Carter, we've seen a lot of Marcus Edmond. Um, guys that, that are reliable, um, but not as athletic. And, um, and I think, you know, you have Trayvon Mullen there, you have Mark Fields there. Those guys are super athletic, but they're just not getting quite the, the same amount of reps. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? So you're, you're saying that you think the mindset has switched from last year where he went with uh, more talented guys than maybe more the more reliable ones. And this year he's going with more experience uh, back there, just kind of, 
to set the mindset on the defense to make sure people aren't distracted to make sure everybody's bought in and it's not necessarily the the most talented guys who may have a little bit bigger egos uh, yeah i mean that's exactly that's exactly my theory because it's it'd be one thing if we had no options uh, after Ryan Carter but um, but we do we have you know we do, we do have options uh, we have Trayvon Mullen, we have Mark Fields, and you know you're not seeing them quite as much. They, they actually have been getting more reps the last couple of games, but um, I, I think whenever you're you're, you're saying Ryan Carter, you're our guy, you're our guy at safety or at nickel, then I think it goes to show that hey, you know we we value uh, consistency, we value uh, someone that's bought in and someone that's not going to blow their assignment over for four three forty speed. Well, that's a very interesting uh, theory that you bring up. I honestly haven't thought about it, but uh, if that is the case, and I'll be looking now, I'll be paying attention to that uh, as we close out the season. But if that is the case, then, you know, I love a coach who can be flexible, learn from his mistakes, learn from the team's mistakes, and get creative and do things differently to correct some issues, especially if you are working with an area like Clemson is in the secondary that is maybe not your best overall personnel group on the team so yeah it's a very interesting point you know one guy maybe they throw in there mix it up a little bit how about tanner muse right like what a what an interception and run back that was really well doing a great job earning earning some reps earning some time and it was great to see him get the interception now that was the one of the flukiest plays i've ever seen but it was great for him to have the awareness to catch it and then you know, I, I was wondering if coming from high school, where he, he was pretty fast in high school, uh, I was wondering if he hadn't put on weight and slowed down a bit. But he looked like he uh, he had some pretty good burst, pretty good open field speed when he uh, he returned the ball for that. Oh yeah, I mean touchdown. he took off. He and, took off you know, with that. Side note: He's been an animal on special teams all year long. Him and Dorian O'Daniel are. You know, he's really kind of assumed that that uh, Dorian O'Daniel role. Uh, you know, th- those guys in tandem are, are really good on that kickoff unit. Yeah, you know, a couple big hits on special teams there. But, you know, going back to the interception, you're right. The interception itself was fluky, but it's what he was able to do after he had the ball in his hands and really take off and go down the sidelines. Uh, You know, he mentioned how cool it was to see his teammates running ahead blocking for him and then chasing him down in the end zone. So what a cool moment for that guy. We look forward to seeing a lot more out of him, maybe not this season, but definitely into next season. Definitely good. Just good for him to get reps. Yeah. Um, so real quick, you know, talking about special teams, we hit on it with Tanner Muse, the kickoffs, were we kicking short on purpose? You think Hugo's kicks weren't going, uh, you know, necessarily as far into the end zone or sometimes not even into the end zone. You think we're kicking short on purpose to, you know, just get some practice for that return unit? I, I hope not. Uh, it could be, but I, I really hope not. I hope we're never intentionally not taking a touchback, but uh, you know, aside from the one, I think the one run uh, where we, we let him we let the the returner get get by our guys, uh, it's a very tenacious, very aggressive unit. That no surprise, you know, Dabo has kind of taken the reins there, uh, leading the special teams charge, and they they've been good. They got the right guys. They, they, personnel was apparently the issue last year, uh, not not this year. There's some guys that are bought in, some heavy hitters, and well, uh, results are are showing. Well, and there was. Uh... There was two long runs in this game, a 68-yarder. I think that's the one that you're recalling where they got onto our side of the field. But there was also another 39-yarder, and that's just not something we've seen a lot out of this um, uh, Clemson re, uh, kick coverage unit this year. So hopefully that's just an anomaly. Another thing um, that we hope is an anomaly, Greg Hugel, after a great game against Florida State, had a couple misses in this game. So you know, hopefully that's maybe just a little bit of lack of focus. He missed on an extra point and also missed a field goal that banged off the upright. You know, let's not let that become a trend because, you know, as soon as I got really confident in him after watching the Florida State game, watching him play there, he comes and does this against Syracuse. So let's tighten that up, Greg. Um, so that about wraps up our recap for this game. You know, a huge, huge win for Clemson. Um, again, I think it's our biggest statement win of the year coming off of maybe our most important game of the year, going on the road and having to come back against Florida State. You know, you've seen some stats out there comparing Clemson's offense uh, from this year to last year, um, saying pretty much, oh, they scored the same amount of points and they've gained the same amount of yards. Well, I think there needs to be a little bit of perspective added to that. Yes, there were close games last year, but not the nail-biter, come-from-behind types that you're seeing this year. Um, but what we saw out of this Syracuse game is what I 
think and hope is a team that could finally be starting to hit their stride. Now, we thought that, I mentioned earlier, after the BC game, after we beat them 56-10 to 10 on the road on a Friday night. But then we came back and probably should have lost to NC State at home. But from here on out, uh, there's a more telling comparison, I think, than offensive stats we need to be examining, and that is how Clemson finishes the season. Last year, after the win against Florida State to go 9-0, and we had a too-closer comfort win at Syracuse, an underwhelming performance at home against Wake, and an inexplicably close game against South Carolina. That was followed by a shootout in the ACC championship game. So the big question for me is, how do we finish the season this year? We've got a pedestrian pit team coming up, an improved but inferior Wake Forest, a South Carolina team who they, they apparently have the second coming of the Messiah, now a quarterback. It's a team that we should steamroll at home. Um, and then from the looks of it, it may be Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game, which is honestly a much better matchup for us uh, than a speedy, uh, high-tempo offense North Carolina team. So the big question, again, is how do we finish? Do we see more BC and Syracuse for the second half? Um, do, or do we see more of BC and Syracuse? Or do we see more of the second half against Georgia Tech or a game like NC State? That will be very telling. If we go on a roll, though, watch out. The Tigers are coming. Cody, final thoughts. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I think that was a, a good point about you see a lot of these narratives. And I, I, please, I'm, please stop. Please, Clemson Riders, stop talking about comparing numbers from last year to this year. It's a different season. As you said, you need perspective. You need context. And last year, Deshaun Watson couldn't run at the beginning of the year. He's, he's had his legs available this entire year. Um, whether or not we, you know, that was by design that we kind of took that away from him a little bit, then, then you know, that's fair. But um, this year has been, we've been, we've, we haven't met expectations on offense. I hate this. I hate the, you know, we're, we're right where we need to be. No, we're not. We haven't been. We're, you know, this game was the first game, it seems like, where we followed up a, I think a really good performance on the road against Florida State with a back-to-back strong effort. Um, so this, we're finally where we need to be. We're finally looking how we need to look. And uh, if we, you're exactly right. We need to continue this trend moving forward. And it's it, it doesn't matter how you start. It, it obviously matters how you finish. November is very important. So if uh, we, we need to look like this in, over the next three games, really, in my opinion, if we want to compete at the at the highest level, you know, compete with the Michigan in a playoff, and then, of course, uh, compete with an Alabama in a potential championship. Yeah, and I think that's how we'll know that we're we've arrived, and the offense is uh, clicking on all cylinders, and the defense is not getting worn down um, from overuse. Is how we finish out this season, and from what I've seen the last couple of days, coming uh, games coming off that bye week, I'm pretty positive. Um, so let's uh, do a quick check in on our podcast prediction challenge. Uh, with a prediction of 52-21, I won this week, Cody. Um, I pick up the points, and I jump Tully uh, to go back on top of the leaderboard. Uh, Cody, you remain in last place. Only one win so far this season. What's up? So I, I don't know whether to pick with my heart or my, my head, and apparently whenever I do one, the uh, the opposite happens. So uh, in terms of the result, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do anymore. Um, I just chalk it up to the Corso Syndrome. Yeah, either that or your heart and your head are both wrong. So um, let's transition here. <laughs> let's transition here. Let's look around college football here for a moment. Um, some interesting games this past, past weekend, but more so we want to take a look and see how they affect uh, the college football playoff now that we are getting closer to that. The second wave of rankings will come back tonight. I think we all expect Alabama uh, to remain on top after their 10 to nothing win over LSU. Um, albeit a very ugly game um, that did not ex- exactly showcase spectacular quarterback play. Um, the more interesting thing for me is, you know, good thing that Clemson went out and took care of business because Michigan did the same, beating Maryland 59-3, to and I'm having a hard time deciding which is a better win, and I'm almost thinking Michigan's is. As related to Alabama? Between the no, as, as related to Clemson-Syracuse. Oh, okay. Uh, it's... We'll they're comparable. Say, I would say maybe it's they're the same. Caught a wash. I mean, two inferior opponents. Second team units are playing in the second half. Um, I, I can't see how the committee would would uh, would change anything in in week two. No, and I don't think that would be the case either. I, I think if anything, Clemson has uh, made a stronger case for being the number one team given their body of work and how they've been playing recently. You know, Kirk Herbstreit has said that he thought uh, last week that Clemson was the best team in the country and. 
you know, I swear to God, if he keeps talking about Clemson like that, I'm going to have to name my firstborn after him, you know, boy or girl. Kirk Herbstreet Welty, there, will you take his first and middle name or first and middle name? Yeah, my baby girl would love that, wouldn't she? Um, try explaining that to her. Um, <laughs> so some shakeups we do expect in the rankings. Um, Texas A&M obviously going to drop out, and they're kind of done as far as the conversation is concerned this year. A lot of people wondering how the hell they were ranked number four uh, when the first rankings came out. But that means that Washington is definitely in after a drubbing of Cal, they win sixty six to twenty seven. It's more and more looking like Washington, you know, is a legitimate contender. Yes, they are undefeated, but playing in the Pac twelve, playing with a weaker schedule, it's hard to really gauge. And again, Cal is not a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but they are beating teams like they're supposed to. Right. I don't think there's a better a better way to judge whether or not a team's elite is can you consistently perform perform at a high level beat teams like you should it gets really tough when you you have to actually play an elite team which Washington won't do uh, until they potentially get to the playoff but they look the way they should look uh, they look like a playoff team I don't think Texas A&M should have ever been ahead of them um, I have to say that SEC is getting a little too much credit um, the we I think Clemson's a little bit the beneficiary of that uh, because we have that Auburn win on the road it, it helps us a little bit but uh, it seems like Texas A&M was was definitely a little bit overvalued, and uh, that came to that came to show against Mississippi State. Well, it only matters if the playoff committee gets the rankings right on the last one. So maybe we'll give them uh, uh, a little break on that. Um, you know, the the kind of the fourth, the third, and fourth position are kind of interesting to me between Michigan and Washington. You know, Michigan still has to play Ohio State. Ohio State beats Nebraska, number 10 Nebraska team, 62-3 to over the weekend, uh, continuing to make their case despite that loss to Penn State. You know, Ohio State sells Michigan on the schedule. Ohio State beats Michigan. They're going to jump up there. Uh, if Washington loses, say, in the Apple Cup against Washington State, Louisville's still hanging around. They won 52-7 to over Boston College. So there's still a lot of movement to be had in these rankings. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, it was it was good to see uh, Louisville and Ohio State and Washington. Really, all three of those teams just came out to play. And they, uh, ESPN, one of the ESPN headlines was Louisville presents fifty-two point plan to the committee, which I thought was really catchy, really good clickbait. Um, but uh, you're gonna you're gonna see some blowouts. You're gonna see uh, teams leaving in starters long, and and especially these one loss teams. Um, so uh, it's good. I, Louisville is it, man? They're a, they're a I think they're the the casual fan darling right now, and um, it, it stinks that they they're going to have this type of uphill battle. Uh, I think Ohio State has a clear path. Louisville has no such path. Well, I would beg to differ a little bit because Washington could still lose a game. I mean, they're they're on the fringe right now, definitely. You know, either Ohio State or Michigan are going to, you know, one of them is going to lose a game, and that's going to clear them out of the way for Louisville. And then you're really looking at a Washington. Does a Washington team lose in front of them? Um, well, it's still not a clear path because something has to happen well, in order for them to get in. Right. Fate, their fate is not squarely in their hands right now, but I, I think Louisville fans still have a lot of optimism to be had because with you know a few weeks left in the season, a lot can still happen. Um, you know, Washington hasn't – You know, they're going to get a test against Washington State. Washington State dropped two – uh, to start the season, but they've been playing really well lately. So that's going to be a tough game for them on a Friday night on rivalry right, I think the, weekend. The one thing we can say about Washington that I, I think I said maybe they could get they could get away with one loss and still win their championship and potentially be in. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't think the committee's given Pac, the Pac-12 and their schedule very much credit at all. Particularly they're out of conference schedule, so uh, they they probably do need to win out, or it's it's likely that a Louisville could slide in, or a one-loss Big Ten team, whether that be Michigan well, or Ohio that, State. That's so, the other uh, thing. Washington, would- and if it comes down between that second Big Ten team and a and uh, you know a big name brand versus maybe the the sexiest, most electric player in the nation, Lamar Jackson, that that'll be an interesting decision. Well, and that's a good point. You know, Washington still would, still would have to play a Pac-12 championship game. I could see them losing that in Louisville, scooting up, um, especially, you know, with a Heisman, uh, a guy that's going to be in New York for sure. Um, you know, that's that's good media. That's good TV. ESPN is going to want to have that narrative going. So, I, very, I think he already. I think they've already sent him half the trophy as a kind of a down payment. <laughs> I think it's 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 his to lose. 
they already cut it in half, sent them half of it. They'll glue it back together when they get to New York. Um, <laughs> finally, wrapping up, uh, we'd be remiss not to talk about South Carolina. South Carolina beats Missouri 31 to 21. South Carolina is actually above 500 this year. You know, I, they're going to make a bowl game, I think, uh, or at least it's quite possible. And that's a pretty successful season. Uh, for Will Muschamp, all things considering, he kind of walked into a dumpster fire this year after uh, after uh, Steve Spurrier left them in the dust midseason last year. So, you know, they've got a Florida team uh, on the road next uh, oh, it's next week. Yeah, it's coming up uh, this weekend. So we'll see how that goes. I don't expect them to win that game. And they got a Western Carolina team they can surely take down. And that looks like... Uh, not sure if that's going to give them the six wins they need or not, because I can't remember if UMass is actually an uh, an FBS team. Do you recall? I, I don't. I, w- I will say, I, I think South Carolina, a couple things on them. They, they are. They one, are an, they're they're they are. ahead of schedule. They're, they've exceeded expectations, and on the recruiting trail, they're, they're doing fairly well. I'll, get, I'll give them credit. Um, so, But the second thing is the SEC East, and the SEC really all together is not the murderer's row that it was four or five years ago. Um, The SEC in particular is very manageable um, despite rankings. Tennessee is beatable. Florida, maybe not on the road, but Florida is beatable. And then you you certainly could say the same about Vanderbilt and uh, and Georgia. So it turns out UMass is an FBS team. Um, So yeah, South Carolina just needs one more win. Uh, If they can pull it out against uh, Western Carolina, then hey, Gamecock fans, pack your bags (laughs) for Shreveport. Um, okay, so that's our look around the country. You know, looking ahead to next week, Clemson plays Pitt, as we mentioned. Pitt 5-4, and 2-3 and three in the ACC. This doesn't look like it's going to be as tough of a test as it did earlier in the season. Uh, I, I just really look for the offense to keep on rolling. As I mentioned, I just want to see this team put away inferior teams, especially when the game's at home. Uh, on defensive side of the ball, can we, contain, can we contain James Conner? You know, he's a pretty good running back. But otherwise, I, I think Clemson should win this game pretty easily. Yeah, and I actually will be at the game. It'll be the first game I've been to in five years. I'm really excited. Um, if you you can drop us a line, send us an email, uh, direct message on Twitter. Uh, if you if you want to meet, have a beer. Um, I'll be out tailgating. So uh, no, I think I think this game is a lot more winnable than it looked what four or five weeks ago. Or I, I don't say winnable. I think um, less losable. The game should be in hand. Hopefully, pretty early. Um, you never know. But uh, yeah, I, I think. If we can continue with the running game, uh, our defensive line just keeps continues to wreak havoc. I I think we can contain James Conner. Um, yeah, and good shout out there about hitting uh, us up on social media to meet up for the game. I am actually going to be back for the South Carolina game, so I encourage you to do that as well. And by the way, I need four tickets to that game. So if any of you uh, uh, wonderful podcast listeners out there want to sell me some, uh, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> So before we wrap up here today, I want to let everybody know, Cody, you mentioned earlier, basketball season is coming up. We're really excited about what this basketball team is going to have to offer this year. Got Georgia at home this Friday to kick it off. We're going to try to find some time to preview this team this year. They really deserve a lot more attention than we're giving them. But we're so wrapped up in football, work, and life right now that it's hard to get to it. But, uh, you know, if you're around, make it out to the newly renovated Little John and go cheer on uh, the Clemson Tiger basketball team. Um, so that's all the time we have today, folks. Uh, if we get this thing up today and you're listening and haven't voted, go vote, make your voice heard. Otherwise, be sure to check, uh, to check back and follow us on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook. Leave some comments on the message boards. Or again, email us mailback questions at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back at you with a recap of the pit game. And until then, and as always, go Tigers. Listen, we give you scholarships, we give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. I can't give you guts and I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart. And